hat, Meg could look through them to mountains and stars. She slid off Mrs. Whatsit's back and walked rather unsteadily after the long ride over to Mrs. Witch. That dark thing we saw, she said, is that, is that what my father is fighting? Okay, and that is the end of Chapter 4, The Black Thing of Madeline Ingalls, A Wrinkle in Time. Thank you guys so much for listening to my podcast. I really appreciate you guys listening. Please give us some stars or a view or just tell friends and family about the show. It really helps us grow if you enjoy it. Thank you guys so Oh, and don't forget to subscribe. Thank you guys so much for listening to our show, and we'll see you tomorrow And Chloe and Ava's stories. Bye! Hi, guys. It's Chloe, your old friend, your old host, your old pal, coming back with another episode of Chloe and Ava's stories. So today we are reading Chapter 4 of Madeline Ingalls' A Wrinkle in Time, The Black Thing. But really quick, I just want to tell you I'm sorry I haven't been posting for a while. I... I was sick for two days, and then we went on a five-day camping trip, and I just wasn't able to post. I'm really sorry about that, and it won't, hopefully it won't happen again, but yeah. So, like I said, we're reading Chapter 4, The Black Thing, and the date is June 3rd, or 2021. Okay, let's go. Chapter 4, The Black Thing. The trees were lashing into a violent frenzy. Meg screamed and clutched at Calvin, and Mrs. Witch, authoritative voice, called out, Quiet, child. Did a shadow fall across the moon, or did the moon simply go out, extinguished as abruptly and completely as a candle? There was still the sound of leaves, a terrified, terrifying rushing. All light was gone. Darkness was complete. Suddenly the wind was gone, and all sound. Meg felt Calvin that... Meg felt that Calvin was being torn from her. She screamed when she reached out for him. Her fingers touched nothing. She screamed out, Charles! And whether it was to help her, him or for her to help her, she did not know. The words flung, was flung back down her throat and she choked on it. She was completely lost. She had lost the protection of Calvin's hand. Charles was nowhere either to save or to turn to. She was alone in a fragment of nothingness. No light, no sound, no feeling. Where was her body? She tried to move in her panic, but there was nothing to move. Just as light and sound had vanished, she was gone too. The corporeal Meg was simply not. Then she felt her limbs again. Her legs and arms were tingling faintly as though they had been asleep. She was blinked her eyes rapidly, but the... Oh, she herself was somehow back. Nothing else was. It was not as simple as somehow back. It was not as simple as darkness or absence of light. Darkness has a tangible quality. It can be moved through and felt. In darkness, you can bark your shins. The world of things still exist around you. She was lost in a horrifying void. It was the same way with silence. This was more than silence. A deaf person could feel vibrations. Here, there was nothing to feel. Suddenly, she was aware of her heart beating rapidly within the cage of her ribs. Had it stopped before? What had made it start again? The tingling in her arms and legs grew stronger, and suddenly she felt movement. This movement, she felt, must be the turning of the earth, rotating on its axis, traveling its elliptic course about the sun, and this feeling of moving with the earth was somewhat like the feeling of being in the ocean. Out in the ocean beyond this rising and falling of the breakers lying on it, on the moving water, pulsing gently with the swells and feelings of the gentle, ex- inexorable tug of the moon. 
I am asleep. I am dreaming, she thought. I'm having a nightmare. I want to wake up. Let me wake up. Well, Charles Wallace's voice said, that was quite a trip. I do think you might have warned us. Light began to pulse and quiver. Meg blinked and shoved shakily at her glasses, and there was Charles Wallace standing indignantly in front of her, his hands on her hips. Meg, he shouted, Calvin, where are you? She saw Charles. She heard him, but she could not go to him. She could not shove through the strange, trembling light to meet him. Calvin's voice came through as though it was pushing through a cloud. Well, just give me time, will you? I'm older than you are. Meg gasped. It wasn't that Calvin wasn't there and then he was. It wasn't that part of him came first and then the rest followed, like a hand and then an arm and eye and then a nose. It was sort of a shimmering, a looking at Calvin through water, through smoke, through fire, and there he was, solid and reassuring. Meg! Charles Wallace's voice came. Meg! Calvin, where's Meg? I'm right here, she tried to say, but her voice seemed to be caught at its source. Meg! Calvin cried, and he turned around, looking about wildly. Mrs. Witch, you haven't left Meg behind, have you? If you've hurt Meg, any of you, Calvin started. But suddenly Meg felt a violent push and shattering as though she had been thrust through a wall of glass. Oh, there you are, Charles Wallace said, rushing over to her and hugging her. But where am I? Meg asked breathlessly, relieved to hear that her voice was now coming out of her more or less a normal way. She looked around rather wildly. They were standing in a sunlit field, and the air about them was moving with the delicious fragrance that comes only on the rarest spring days when the sun's touch is gentle and the apple blossoms are just beginning to unfold. She pushed her glasses up on her nose to reassure herself that what she was seeing was real. They had left the silver glint of a biting autumn evening, and now around them everywhere were as golden with light. The grasses of the field were tender, new, green, and scattered about were tiny multicolored flowers. Meg turned slowly to face a mountain reaching so high into the sky that it, its peak was lost in a crowd of puffy white clouds. From the trees at the base of the mountains came a sudden singing of birds. There was an air of such infinable peace and joy all around her that her heart's wild thumping slowed. When shall we three meet again in thunder, lightning, or in rain? came Mrs. Hughes' voice. Suddenly the three of them were there. Mrs. Watson with her pink soul askew, Mrs. Who with her spectacles gleaming, and Mrs. Witch still a little more than a shimmer. Delicate, multicolored butterflies were flitting about them as though in greeting. Okay, hold on a second, guys. So, I don't remember the voices that I did for the witches. So, I'm going to try my best, but it might not be... It might not be the same. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start off again at Mrs. Whatsit with her pink stole skew. Mrs. Who with her spectacles gleaming and Mrs. Witch still more than a shimmer. Delicate multicolored butterflies were fluttering about them as though in greeting. Mrs. Whatsit and Mrs. Who began to giggle. And they giggled until it seemed that whatever their private joke was, they would fall down with the wild fun of it. The shimmer seemed to be laughing, too. It became vaguely darker and more solid, and then there appeared a figure in a black robe 
a black peaked hat, beady eyes, a beak nose, and gray long hair. One bony claw crutched a broomstick. Well, just to keep you girls happy, the strange voice said. Mrs. Wedgett and Mrs. Who fell into each other's arms in gales of laughter. If you ladies have had your fun, I think you should tell Calvin and Meg a little more about this, Charles Wallace said coldly. You scared Meg half out of her wits, whisking her off this way without any warning. Fixian and a male is pretty, pretty, likely. This is who intoned Horace. To action little less to words inclined. Mrs. Who, I would wish you'd stop quoting, Charles Wallace said, sounding sounded very annoyed. Mrs. Wedgetid adjusted her stall. But she finds it so difficult to verbalize, Charles dear. It helps her so she can find a quote instead of working out words of her own. And we mustn't lose our sense is of humor mrs witch said the only way to cope with something deadly serious is to try to treat it a little lightly but that is going to be hard for meg this is what it said. It's going to be hard for her to realize that we are serious. What about me? Calvin asked. The life of your father isn't at stake, Mrs. Wetzel told him. What about Charles Wallace then? Mrs. Wetzel's unhoiled door hinged voice was warm with affectionate and pride. Charles Wallace knows. Charles Wallace knows that it's far more than just, than just the life of his father. Charles knows what's at stake, but what remembered, Mrs. Who said, Adoraptis, nothing is hopeless. We must hope for everything. Where are we now, and how did we get here? Calvin asked. Yariel, the third planet of the star Malik, in the spherical nebula Messier 101. And that's this I am supposed to believe? Calvin asked indignantly, as you like, Mrs. Witch said coldly. For some reason, Meg felt that Mrs. Witch, despite her looks and inferior broomstick, was someone in whom one could completely trust. It doesn't seem any more peculiar than anything else that's happened. Well, then someone just tell me how we got here. Calvin's voice was still angry, and his freckles seemed to stand out on his face. We were traveling at the, at the speed of light. It would take us years and years to get here. Oh, we don't travel at the speed of anything, Mrs. Watson explained earnestly. We desert, or as you might say, we wrinkle. Clear as mud, Calvin said. Tesser, Meg thought. Could that have anything to do with Mother's Tesseract? She was about to ask when Mrs. Witch started to speak, and one did not interrupt when Mrs. Witch was speaking. Mrs. Watson is young and naive. She keeps thinking she can explain things in words, Mrs. Who said. French, you know. The more a man knows, the less he talks. 
but she has to use words for Meg and Calvin, Charles reminded Mrs. Who. If you brought them along, they have a right to know what's going on. Meg went up to Mrs. Witch in the intensity of her question. She had forgotten all about the tax direct. Is my father here? Mrs. Who shook her head. Not here, Meg. Let Mrs. Watsit explain. She is young, and the language of words is easier for her than it is for Mrs. Who and me. We stopped here, Mrs. Watson explained, more or less to catch our breaths and to give you a chance to know what you're up against. But what about Father? Meg asked. Is he all right? For the moment, love, yes. He is one of the reasons we're here, but you see, he is only one. Well, where is he? Please take me to him. We can't, not yet, Charles said. You have to be patient, Meg. But I'm not patient, Meg cried passionately. I've never been patient. Mrs. Hughes glasses shone at her gently. If you want to help your father, then you must learn patience. Here in Pendleton, to stake one's life for the truth. That is what we must do. That is what your father is doing, Mrs. Watson nodded. Said widen, holding them steady. Oh, her voice like Mrs. Who is very serious, very solemn. Then she smiled a radiant smile. Now, why don't you three children wander around, and Charles can explain things a little. You're perfectly safe on Giorgio. That's why we stopped here to rest. But aren't you coming with us, Meg asked fearfully. There was a silence for a moment. Then Mrs. Witch raised her authoritative voice. Show them, she said to Mrs. Watson. And at some point in her voice, Meg felt prickly of apprehension. Now, Mrs. Watson asked, her creaky voice rising to a squeak. Whatever it was Mrs. Witch wanted them to see, it was something that made Mrs. Watson uncomfortable too. Now, Mrs. Witt said, they may as well know. Should, should I change? Mrs. Watt said, asked. Better. I hope it won't upset the children too much, Mrs. Watt said, murmured as though to herself. Should I change too? Mrs. Who asked. Oh, but I've had fun in these clothes. But I'll have to admit, Mrs. Watt said, it's best at it. That's what looked the minister, German. The work clues the craftsman. Shall I transform now, too? Mrs. Witch shook her head. Not yet. Not here. You may wait. Now, don't be frightened, loves. Mrs. Watson said. Her prompt little body began to shimmer, to quiver, to shift. The wild colors of her clothes became muted, whitened. The pudding bag... Shapes stretched, lengthened, and merged, and suddenly before the children was a creature more beautiful than any Meg had ever imagined, and the beauty lay in far more than the outward description. Outwardly, Mrs. Watson was surely no longer uh Mrs. Watson was she she was a marble white body with powerful flanks, something like a horse, but at the same time completely unlike a horse. 
for from the man- magnificently modeled back sprang a nobly formed torso, arms, and a head resembling a man, but a man with a perfect perfection of dignity and virtue, an exhalation of joy, joy such as Mega never seen. No, she thought, it's not like a Greek centaur, not at the least. From the shoulders, slowly a pair of wings unfolded, wings made of rainbows, of light upon water, of poetry. Calvin fell to his knees. No, Mrs. Watson said, though her voice was not Mrs. Watson's voice. Not to me, Calvin, never to me. Stand up. Carry them, Mrs. Watson commanded. With a gesture both delicate and strong, Mrs. Watson knelt in front of the children, stretching her wings wide and holding them steady but quivering on to my back now the new voice said the children took hesitant steps toward the beautiful creature but what do we call you now calvin asked oh my tears came the new voice a rich voice with the warmth of a wind would the clarity of trumpet the mystery the mystery of an english horn you can't go on changing my name each time i met a met a Metamorphs, metamorphs, I don't know that word. And I've had such a pleasure being Mrs. Watson. I think you'd better keep it to that. She, he, it smiled at them. And the radiance of the smile was as tangible as a soft breeze, as directly warming as the rays of the sun. Come, Charles Wallace clambered up. Meg and Calvin followed. Followed him, Meg sitting between the two boys. A tremor went through the great wings, and then Mrs. Watsit lifted, and they were moving through the air. Meg soon found that there was no need to cling to Charles Wallace or Calvin. The great creature's flight was serenely smooth. The boys were eager, looking around the landscape. Look, Charles Wallace pointed. The mountains are so tall you can't see where they end. Meg looked upward, and indeed, the mountains seemed to be reaching into infinity. They left the fertile field and flew across a great plateau of granite-like rock shaped into enormous monoliths. These had definite rhythmic form, um, but they were not statues. They were like nothing Meg had ever seen before, and she wondered if they had been made by wind and weather, by the formation of this earth, or if they were a creation of being like one which, uh, like one on which she rode. They left the great granite plain and flew over a garden even more beautiful than anything in a dream. In it were gathered many of the creatures like the one Mrs. Watson had become, some lying among the flowers, some swirling in a broad crystal river that flowed through the garden, some flying in what Meg was sure must be a kind of dance, moving in and out above the trees. They were making music, music that could not that came not only from their throats, but from the movement of their great wings as well. What are they singing, Meg asked excitedly. Mrs. Watson shook her beautiful head. It won't go into your words. I can't possibly transfer it into words. Are you getting any of it, Charles? Charles Wallace sat very still on the broad back, on the face of the intensely listening look he had when he delved into Megger's mother. A little, just a little, but I think I could get more in time. Yes, you could learn it, Charles, but there isn't time. We only stay here long enough to rest and make a few preparations. Meg hardly listened to her. I want to know what it, they're saying. I want to know what it means. Try, Charles, Mrs. Watchett urged. Try to translate. You can't 
You can let yourself go. You don't have to hold back. But I can't, Charles Wallace cried in an anguished voice. I don't know enough. Not yet. Then try to work for, with me and see if I can verbalize a, a little for you. Charles Wallace got in his look of prodding, of listening. I know that look, Max thought suddenly. I know. I think I know what it means. Because I've had it myself, sometimes doing math with father. When a problem is just about to come clear. When Mrs. Watson seemed to be listening to Charles' thoughts. Well, yes. That's an idea. I can try I too bad you don't know really know know it so you can give me a direct Charles. It's much more work this way. Don't be lazy, Charles said. Mrs. Watson did not take the offense. She explained, Oh, it's my favorite kind of work, Charles. That's why they chose me to go along, even though I'm much younger. It's one of my real talents. But it's going to take a tremendous amount of energy, and we're going to need every ounce of energy for what's ahead of us. But I'll try. For Calvin and Meg, I'll try. She was silent. The great wings almost stopped moving. Only a delicate stirring seemed to keep them aloft. Listen, then, Mrs. Watson said. The resound voice rose. rose, and the words seemed to be all around them, so that Meg felt that she could almost reach out and touch them. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise from the end of the earth. Ye that go down to the sea and all that is therein, the eyes of the inhabitants thereof, let the wilderness and the cities thereof with devils say, let the inhabitants of the rocks sing, let them shout from the top of the mountain, let them give glory unto the Lord. Throughout her entire body, Meg felt a pulse of joy such as she had never known before. Calvin's hand reached out, and he did not clasp her hand in his. He moved his fingers so that they were barely touching hers, but joy flowed through them, back and forth between them, around them and about them and inside them. When Mrs. Whitsitt sighed, it seemed completely incomprehensible with the bliss could come with the faintest whisper of doubt. We must go now, children. Mrs. Watson's voice was deep with sadness, and Meg could not understand. Raising her head, Mrs. Watson gave a call that seemed to be a command, and one of the creatures lying above the trees nearest them raised its head to listen, and then flew off and picked three flowers from a tree glowing, glowing near the river and brought them over. Each one of you take one. Each of you take one, Mrs. Watson said. I'll tell you how to use them later. As Meg took her flower, she realized that it was not a single blossom, but hundreds of tiny flowerets forming kind of a hollow bell. Where are we going? Calvin asked. Up. The wings moved steadily, swiftly. The garden was left behind, the stretch of granite, the mighty shapes, and then Mrs. Watsit was flying upwards, climbing steadily. Up, up, below them, the trees of the mountains dwindled, became sparse, were replaced by bushes, then small dry grass, and then vegetation ceased entirely, and there were only rocks, points, and peaks of rocks, sharp and dangerous. Hold on tight, Mrs. Watson said. Don't slip. Meg felt Calvin's arms circle around her waist in a secure hold. Still, they moved upward. Now they were in the clouds. I could see nothing but drifting whiteness, and the moisture clung to them, and coincidence icy droplets. 
As Meg shivered, Calvin's grip tightened. In front of her, Charles Wallace sat quietly. Once he turned just long enough to give her a swift glance of tenderness and concern, but Meg felt as each moment passed that he was growing farther and farther away, and he was becoming less and less her adored baby brother and more what, and more with what kind of being Mrs. Watson, Mrs. Hoot, and Mrs. Witch and actually were. Abruptly, they burst out of the clouds into a shaft of light. Below them, there were still rocks. Above them, above them, the rocks continued to reach up into the sky. But now they, oh, it seemed miles upward. Meg could see he where the mountains at last came to an end. Mrs. Watson continued to climb, her wings straining a little. Meg felt her heart racing. Cold sweat began to gather on her face, and her lips felt as though they were turning blue. She began to gasp. All right, children, use your flowers now, Mrs. Watson said. The atmosphere will continue to get thinner from now on. Hold them, the flowers up to your face and breathe through them, and they will give you enough oxygen. It won't be as much as you're used to, but it will be enough. Meg had for, almost forgotten the flower and was grateful she hadn't let them fall from her fingers. She pressed her face into the blossom and breathed deeply. Calvin still held her with one arm, but he, too, held the flowers to his face. Charles Wallace moved his hand with the flowers slowly, as almost as though he were in a dream. Mrs. Watson's wings strained against the thinness of the atmosphere. The summits were as only a little way above them, and they were still there. Mrs. Watson came to the re- came to rest on a small plateau of smooth, silvery rocks. There, uh, there ahead of them were a great white disk. One of Uriel's moons, Mrs. Watson told them, her voice faintly breathless. Oh, it's beautiful, Meg cried. It's beautiful. The silver light from the enormous moon poured over them, blending with the golden quantity quality of the day, flowing over the children, over Mrs. Watson, over the mountain peak. Now we will turn around, Mrs. Watson said, and at the quality of her voice, Meg was afraid again. But when they turned, she saw nothing. Ahead of them was a thin, clear blue sky. Below them, the rocks thrusting out of the shifting sea with white clouds, now we will wait, Mrs. Watson said, for sunset and moonset. Almost as though she spoke, as she spoke, the light began to deepen to darken. I want to watch the moonset, Charles said. No, child, do not turn around, any of you. Face out towards the dark. What I have to show you will be more visible then. Look ahead, straight ahead, as far as you can possibly look. Meg's eyes ached from the strain of looking and seeing nothing. Then above the clouds which in tight encircled the mountains, the, she seemed to see a shadow, a faint thing of darkness so far off that she was scarcely sure that it was really she was really seeing it. Charles Wallace said, What's that? That sort of shadow out there, Calvin gestured. What is it? I don't like it. Watch, Mrs. Watson commanded. It was it was a shadow, nothing but a shadow. It was something was not even as tangible as a cloud. Was it cast by something, or was it a thing in itself? The sky darkened, the gold left the light, and they were surrounded by blue. Who, blue deepening until where there had been nothing but the evening sky. There was now a faint pulse of star. Faint pulse of star, and then another, and another, and another. There were more stars than Meg had ever seen before. 
The atmosphere is so thin here, Mrs. Watson said, though in answer to her unasked question, that it does not obscure your vision as it would at home. Now look, look straight ahead. Meg looked. The shadow was still there, not lessened or disappeared, dispersed with the light with the coming of night. And where the shadow was, the stars were not visible. Where could, what could there be about a shadow so terrible that she knew that there had never been before ever would be again anything that would chill her a fear was beyond shuddering beyond crying or screaming beyond the possibility of comfort meg's hand holding the blossom slowly dropped and it seemed as though a knife gashed through her lungs she gasped but there was no air for her to breathe the darkness glazed her eyes and mind but as she started to fall into unconsciousness her head dropped down into the flower which she was still clutching and as she inhaled the fragrance of the purity her mind revived and she sat up again the shadows were still there dark and dreadful calvin held his held her hand strongly in his but she felt neither strength nor reassurance in his touch besides her a tremor went through charles wallace but he sat very still he shouldn't be seeing this Meg thought this is too much for a little boy no matter how different and extraordinary a little boy calvin turned rejecting the dark that dark thing that blotted out the light of the stars make it go away mrs what's it he whispered make it go away it's evil slowly the great creature turned around so that the only shadow was behind them so that they only saw the stars stars obscured the soft throb of starlit on the mountain the descending circle of the great moon swiftly slipping over the horizon then without a word from mrs what's it they were traveling downwards down 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 when they reached the corner Corona of clouds. Clouds, Mrs. Watson said. You can breathe without the flowers now, my children. Silence again, not a word. It was as though this shadow had somehow reached out with its dark power and touched them so that they were incapable of speech. When we got back to the flowery field, bathed now in starlight and moonlight from another smaller yellow or rising moon, a little of the tenseness went out of their bodies, and they realized that the body of the beautiful creature on which they rode had began to rigid as theirs. Within the great hateful gesture, it dropped to the ground, folded its great wings. Charles Wallace was the first to slide off. Mrs. Who, Mrs. Witch, he called, and there was an immediate quivering in the air. Mrs. Who's familiar glasses gleamed at them. Mrs. Witch appeared too, but as though she had told the children, it was difficult for her to materialize completely, and though there were a robe and peak 